It's time for Fed Talk, the live show for Feds in the Know. From federal agencies to Capitol Hill, the attorneys of Shaw, Bransford, and Roth bring in experts from across the federal community to bring you inside the issues. Fed Talk is meant to provide general information about legal issues. However, the views expressed in this program are not intended to provide legal counseling. Listeners are cautioned not to rely upon any statements made in resolving legal issues they may face, but instead to consult with their own attorney about specific situations. Attorneys are not engaged in providing legal services while appearing on the program and are not responsible in any manner for the consequences that may stem directly or indirectly from reliance on any statement made during this program. Good morning and welcome to Fed Talk. I am Tony Vernetti from Feds, Federal Employee Defense Services. And today is Friday, March 18th, and we have an exciting show for you today. We're going to be talking about performance management and measurement in the federal government. That may not sound exciting to you, but I'm calling it Moneyball for the government. <laughs> yeah. To do a little sports analogy here. And we're also going to talk a little bit about the upcoming Government Performance Summit here in Washington, D.C., uh, May 16th through the 18th. And to assist with our discussion today, I have two government performance experts in studio with me. We're going to have three. One of them bailed on us. Um, I like that title I gave you guys, Performance Experts. I'm going to walk around town this weekend and call myself a performance expert, see if anybody looks at me different. Uh, first, let me introduce John Dessenberg. Uh, John is the Senior Director at MITRE Corporation, where he works with Congress, the White House, federal agencies, and other like-minded organizations in advancing accountability and performance in government. John very recently was the director at the Performance Institute. John, good morning and welcome to the show. Good morning, Tony. It's so great to be here. And I, I like that uh, title, Performance Expert. And does that mean that you're able to pick all the NCAA games exactly right? I don't know. You tell me. Okay. How's your bracket looking? Uh, my bracket, not so good. I, I don't think I use big data in the way I should have because somehow I had five losses yesterday. I just shut my eyes and, and, and put my pen in the middle of the paper to see what, see what we got. And then let me, uh, we also have in studio with us, we have Mike Morella, who specializes in analytics for federal programs with an emphasis on software performance management. Mike, thanks for being with us and welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for help. Ha thanks for having me, Tony. And your bracket's perfect also, right? It is, it is. <laughs> you know, I think some of the guys that went to Yale, the big data guys crunching the numbers, didn't even have their own team yesterday. Right. <laughs> I bet not. I had Yale picked one of my brackets, and I went back the morning of and crossed them out. I hate when you do that. You always have to go with you your need first, to go with your first, first thing, yeah. So before we get started, I want to remind everyone that Fed Talk is brought to you by Federal Long-Term Care Partners. Long-Term Care Partners administers the Office of Personnel Management-sponsored Federal Long-Term Care Insurance Program. For more information, go to www.ltcfeds.com. That's ltcfeds.com. So, John, I'd like to start our discussion with you by asking you to explain to our listeners and kind of introduce the subject matter, you know, why why we or why anyone should care about performance management and measurement in the government. And, and maybe you can also give us a, a little history about the Government Performance and Results Act, GIPRA, sure. um, back in 1993, and then the Modernization Act from 2010. Yeah, well, you know... I've actually stopped calling it performance management, Tony, because you're absolutely right. People roll their eyes. People start to fall asleep suddenly or want to change the subject. So really, what is this about? And, and you know, how do we make this uh, uh, interesting and cut to the real point? Why are we doing this? And so, yeah, it's performance management. But what we're really trying to do is make better decisions and improve decision making 
uh, get more bang for our buck, a uh, higher ROI on where we're investing our resources. And this is what matters. The, you know, what I tell people is performance measures, that's like the score on the scoreboard. And if you were going to go to an NCAA game or any sporting event, would you stare at the scoreboard or would you watch the activity on the field or the court? Well, of course, we all know you want to watch the players, you want to watch the strategy, you want to watch the great talent, etc. The scoring, the performance uh, aspect of government programs, that's just a way to track whether or not we're able to effectively implement and execute our strategies. So where we really want to pay attention is what are we going to do different? What needs to change? How do we bring innovation and new ideas and better approaches uh, to government service delivery in order to really improve, number one, citizen satisfaction, number two, uh, a better return on our taxpayer dollar and investment? That's what this is about. And believe me, that makes a huge difference, particularly in times of flat budgets like we've been going through recently. Performance measures make a tremendous difference. Look, I think we all know we're not getting a lot of new money into agency budgets. So what does that mean? It means we've got to pivot and decide what are we doing that's working? And just as importantly, what are we doing that no longer is effective or perhaps was never effective? This is where data really makes a tremendous difference. And I mean, there's so much to talk about here, but I will tell you, as we started to emphasize uh, in the world of performance that this is really about better budget decisions and better governance inside these agencies, people are paying attention. We're seeing a lot more interest in finding what really matters. Look, it's not counting. Counting is not performance management. People for decades since the Gipra, original Gipra of 1993 have been counting things, and it was looked at as a box-checking exercise. Look, I counted some stuff. Now get off my back. I'll talk to you next year. Right. That is not what this is about. This is about measuring what matters and ultimately determining what's working and what's not working. So let me ask you there, because you mentioned a term there um, that that you know those of us in business know very well. What's the ROI? What's the return you know on investment? Which you know has you know been a bet, you know bedrock of any company you know through the years. How it's just sort of big picture. I know we'll get into the weeds in a little bit, but big picture. How has the government you know respond it to that kind of that kind of request or, or to kind of refocus itself you know over i guess the past 20 plus years since we've been trying to report and and, and crunches data and you yeah. know what congress required was it were they have they come and kicking and screaming you know or was it something you know they embraced or, or did they really have to get over you know the hurdle here well you know there's a couple of things here number one this is the kind of subject that sometimes everyone feels that they're an expert already and so, hey, just get out of my way. I'm going to start counting things and, and, and I'll count widgets, whatever, whatever it takes. But ultimately, what we've discovered is people spend most of their time counting what? They're counting inputs, which is how big is my budget? How many people do I have working for me? Uh, et cetera. Look, inputs traditionally was what drove government because, I mean, Tony, you know this as well as anyone from your experience. Bigger budgets meant what? It meant you were somehow deemed successful in the eyes of Congress, right. uh, et cetera. Well, it, now we are starting to understand as more and more people actually become familiar with true performance, inputs are not performance. So getting that paradigm shift 
from inputs to actual results and outcomes has been a, a, a tremendous shift. And then the other thing that I think has made a difference, this administration, let's give some credit, in the eight years of the Obama administration, um, they got Gipper modernization passed, which was largely a product of, of OMB and, and pushed that through with Senator Mark Warner and some others. And what did Gipper modernization in 2010, what did that change? What it really changed in my mind philosophically is this. Strategic planning and performance measures went from static documents that sat on a shelf to dynamic, ever-changing, uh, living uh, 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 data points that you could adjust year to year and quarter to quarter as you saw uh, the world change, the, the business environment change, and your data changed. So this has been a tremendous change and something that we're really still emphasizing with executives, which is this. A five-year strategic plan or a four-year strategic plan with measures is going to be badly out of date if you just let it sit there. And we've got to understand that this is about testing, adjustment, retesting. Look, some of your strategies are not going to end up being successful, and that's okay. That happens every day in business. But we just need to make sure we measure and then we adjust and continue to try to improve. So this has been a huge philosophical change. And that's a big point because you think of you think of governments, you think of large bureaucracies. Historically, what do you, you know, what do they do well? You know, they you know do big things and a lot of things very efficiently. And you know, they got they got you know, sort of run everything through an assembly line. And what happens then is they have what I like to call these, you know, easily easy to administer rules. You know, we lay them in place. So like you called it, it's a static plan. This is what we're going to do. It says X, then we do Y. And the the give, you take away from the, the, you know, the, the other side of that is you ignore, you know, a lot of relevant factors, you know, when that happens. I remember listening to somebody smart talk after 9-11, and we were talking about how government was going to have to change if we were going to have to engage on this new war on terror and all that stuff, which kind of, you know, Changed a lot of what we're we're doing in the government. That there need to be you know, what I call more flexibility. You know, more it needs to be a more constant, fluid, fluid concept. Um, and that's essentially what what I hear you're talking about. And and it's no, I think it's not a mystery that the bigger these organizations get, the tougher this is for them. I mean, what's consistently at the bottom of best places to work? You know, unfortunately, it's the Department of Homeland Security for many years, and that is a mega agency. And as you have these big lumbering organizations, unfortunately, it's very hard for them to pivot, adjust and change. It's just it's very tough. doesn't matter if you're a private sector organization or a public sector organization. As you get bigger and bigger, doing what we're talking about here becomes more difficult. You're listening to Fed Talk on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM, and we are talking about performance management and measurement in the federal government. We'll continue our discussion after this break in a word from our sponsor. Make long-term care insurance part of your retirement plan. Long-term care is expensive, and it's not covered by traditional types of insurance plans. With benefits designed specifically for the federal family, the Federal Long-Term Care Insurance Program offers a smart way to help protect savings and assets and remain independent should you need long-term care services someday. Start planning for the future. Take the next step and visit ltcfeds.com today. That's ltcfeds.com.
Welcome back to Fed Talk on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM. I'm Tony Vernetti, and I'm talking with John Dessenberg and Mike Barella about performance management and measurement in, in the federal government. Um, we were talking a little bit about um, how the how the government is responding to all this, you know, like it's not new accountability um, anymore. Um, and I want to jump into to one of our first uh, topic items, but I did have, just have a question first about where where does the government relate to this the federal government to in relation to state and locals and then industry, you know, are they lagging behind? You know, I've had, um, uh, good, um, Anish Chopra, you mm-hmm. know, who was the, the president's um, first information officer. Um, and he wrote a book and I read his book and I had him teach him for a conference for me a year ago or two years ago. And it was all about how the it stuff is so far behind the private sector because you had all and they used to be way ahead in the federal government. But because you have all these legacy systems and all that stuff, that in order to sort of break it down and do things differently, you know, we were they were so behind. And so he had this framework, you know, for kind of, you know, for the government to kind of share information, basically, and work with everybody to catch up. Um, so when we're talking about all this analytical stuff, where does the federal government rate as opposed to state and locals and, I guess, industry? You know, Tony, this is a great uh, uh, segue to talk a little bit just for a second about the Government Performance Summit coming up May 16th through 18th down at the Marriott Metro Center. And uh, By the way, that's at governmentperformance.org. It's the longest running and biggest performance summit in government. And one of the things that they do every year at the summit is bring in state and local experts to talk to feds because, believe me, And I think, you know, Mike, you can chime in on this. State and local government is, in my mind, substantially ahead in parts of performance and particularly on transparency. And the reason is uh, we have found and what we have seen, and we do do something with IBM called Smarter Cities, where we've toured more than 40 cities around the country, including some of the biggest in the country. And what we've found is in places like Chicago and Baltimore and Phoenix and St. Louis, the citizens are very, very focused on local data. When's my garbage getting picked up? Why is there a pothole on my street? How long is it going to take my pothole to get When is my pothole getting fixed? And how many more minutes do I have to wait? And this is the kind of thing that drives citizens to these public transparency sites in state and local government. And unfortunately, the federal government just doesn't seem to be able to generate that level of interest. At least in my mind, I don't hear a lot of people talking about how long does it take for a grant to be submitted or <laughs> when does the EPA issue a new regulation? These things just don't interest people, unfortunately, the same way that state and local data does. So state and local government, particularly around transparency and open government and innovation, has become, I, I would say, a leader. I'll just tell you one quick story and, 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 and let Mike chime in. We were in Boston with the mayor of Boston. They have a, a, a new app that citizens can download. And when you are driving, if you go over a pothole or a bump in the road, the app detects it and makes a note of it. And when more than 30 people go over the same bump, Boom. The city of Boston is out there patching well, the hole. And they, guess they what? They clearly Not, need that app in D.C. And no <laughs> one. And, and Tony, the great part about it is no one has to pick up the phone. No one has to send an email. It just happens. So this is where I, I would like to see the federal government head well, in, in a similar direction. That's funny, Mike. And I'll ask you. I mean, I, I didn't even think of that, that, the, that it's being controlled from that direction. You know, I was just naively was thinking that I thought state and locals were probably better just because they were smaller and had more flexibility to act, you know. Just like I run a small business, I want to change my website. I don't have to have, you know, six meetings about it. <laughs> right, right. 
Yeah, I think definitely the state agencies, they have a, a lot more interest. The citizens have a lot more interest in state and municipal government versus citizen, versus the federal data. Right. But the federal government also knows that they've got that responsibility to produce that data, still have to operate efficiently. So if, when it comes to technology and utilizing technology, even though the, the private sector or state and municipal governments have been faster to innovate, I see the federal government catching up in a lot of ways. Some of these modernization initiatives, like some of the ERP programs to help modernize financial and supply chain data, um, some of the shared services centers that are, are helping to bring technology to agencies a little bit quicker and more, more agile, um, are, are really, I think, helping the federal government to catch up in that department. Well, you know, and, and let's give, again, I, I think this administration has really emphasized the performance.gov website. They have gone out on a limb and talked repeatedly about open government, but Again, if you talk to feds, I think the question is why? And, and, and I, I do think that, that maybe something that has fallen short at OMB and the White House over the last eight years is telling people in the government why do they want why should we spend so much time populating performance.gov? Why does open data matter? I think the one, uh, one bright spot has been what they've called these cross-agency priority goals. And these cross-agency priority goals, that has been a major breakthrough because it, for the first time, said you, D Department 1 and Department 2, you're going to share accountability for this result. So they have tried to peel back those stovepipes. I mean, I think the one that's gotten the most attention has been veterans homelessness, where for the first time they put HHS and VA and the Department of Defense together jointly accountable for that measure and that performance. And you know what? It has been an incredible success. Yeah, they have almost success. eliminated in many cities around the country, they have almost eliminated veterans homelessness. And this is an area where you can actually point to data was used to drive change and better results. And real quickly, the story is the paradigm for years was you had to clean up your act as a homeless person before the government would put you in housing. But the data showed Guess what? It's more effective to put someone in safe housing first, and then they will be able to, uh, you know, rehabilitate and go through treatment programs, et cetera. So using data, this is a very interesting story where they actually looked at the data, they evaluated the results, and guess what? The way they'd been doing this for years was wrong. And by turning it on its head and giving people a safe place to live first, you actually saw a better result for society. Who's so? Let me ask you: um, Who's using the data? You know, is, is it is it primarily is is Congress really using the data? Are they coming back and saying, "No, this is what the data says. This is what you have to do," or is it coming, you know, from the other side of it? Uh, well, unfortunately, you know what I, I, I kind of sadly, uh, tongue in cheek, I, I sometimes say Congress is the last uh, institution in America that does not use data to make decisions. Uh, they continue to. Uh, make a lot of decisions based on conjecture, somebody's story, uh, something they heard from a constituent. It's not it's not the best situation. But let's I, I do want to stay on a positive note here. It's a beautiful day. <laughs> it's a beautiful spring day. Let's try to stay positive. And what I'll say is this new generation of staffers, particularly those people coming out with their public administration degrees in the last 10 years, have been trained the data is critical. So I think we are starting to see some change at the staff level. But Congress has a long way to go. Well, I think it's going to improve, too. Like the OMB Super Circular now provides some uniform guidance for state and municipal grant recipients 
to have to report back to the federal government so that the, maybe the federal government can start to use some of this across congressional districts, across, you know, across well, different state lines. And, and You know, Mike, I mean, that's all well and good. But if you actually walk the halls of Congress, you see three ring binders being thrown out in giant carts because, yes, there's a, a, there's a lot of work that goes into gathering the data, but no one has really been able to get Congress to use it. How much of this data is just sort of put out there, you know, consistent, I guess, with, you know, we all know the Obama administration has made it a, a priority um, for open government and transparency. Um, is, is a lot of this data just made public for, you know, think tanks and other you know groups who, who you yeah. know, have want. more, well, they want more vested stakeholders, if you will, you know, Sadly, to look at things. I mean, no, and no, no rip on our friends in the government contracting world. But sadly, <laughs> a lot of this data is really ultimately used the most by people looking to win government business, um, which it was not the intention of right. uh, the people oh. who are putting these things together. So that's, uh, well, I think that's a side issue. That's just capitalism. But if we're talking <laughs> about open data, there's been some really interesting stuff like um, at the Department of the, at, at Census, they've got an innovation lab at Census. And uh, last summer they had a contest where they had some open data and you could create your own apps and submit it as a contest. Um, so essentially bringing together what other, other data you wanted with that census data that they were making available to the public. Right. So that was really interesting. Another area may be with like um, GSA 18F. It's a really interesting kind of think tank inside of the government that's doing some really interesting kind of consulting work where they're taking open data. For example, last year, last summer with the FDA, they were able to take FDA open data and they, they had a kind of a, a contest. Um, on how to utilize, um, how to best utilize this FDA da FDA data. So using open data and m exposing it to companies, maybe contractors, maybe private citizens, maybe other agencies to be able to utilize. I think it's going to be it's going to be effective. It's just really kind of new. Well, innovation is is a buzzword, and yeah. let you know just to be real quick on this. OMB has actually put money in the budget for innovation. We can talk more about that. Well, that's a question I have, you know, because I, I, mean, I read their outline. You know, and what you're talking about is the federal, you know, innovation laboratories that are opening up throughout the government. You know, prior to sort of reading the stuff, I only ever knew of one, which was DARPA, <laughs> you know, which did did all its crazy stuff. Um, but what what specifically, you know, is that? Are they is you know is each agency you know, running their own or is it shared? You know, what, you know, how does that well, work? It's, it's so the one I think we're both the most familiar with is the work going on at the Department of Commerce, largely out of census, but it's at HHS as well and some other places. And what this is about is giving people the, the room and the tools to innovate in a safe environment. So literally, you can come down to the laboratory at Census with an innovation idea and work with their innovation team. They have tools. They, ha they have rapid access to software on a pilot basis that you might not be able to get through traditional procurement rules in your own office. And they quickly help you get up and running. I think what's critical with innovation and what we've heard from, from our friends around government on this is it's kind of a, it's not the best term in the world. They call it, you don't want to strangle the baby in the crib. Now, what does that mean, strangle the baby in the crib? It means that culturally, innovation is sometimes not accepted by other people in the department and they will subtly or not so subtly try to kill it before it can you know, reach fruition. And I think the same that, way as change. It's a cultural issue. Yeah. Well, is there is there any private sector collaboration with these innovative laboratories going on? I believe that there is, and I think it's they are kind of operating kind of like an incubator. John said that there's a pilot software available. Yes. So the technology companies are are, are helping sponsor and support 
these innovation labs. I, I shouldn't say sponsor, but like support them. Well, you know, the companies that that we have seen uh, cooperating here. I'll tell you the, what I what I am particularly excited about uh, over the last few months is the new wave of performance budgeting tools that are coming out. And we all know, and Tony, you remember, performance budgeting has been a struggle. Activity-based costing, a lot of people felt like it never was effective. We remember, some of us are old enough to remember zero-based budgeting. These things never worked. And when you talk to people, why was this never successful? And what they'll tell you is we didn't have the computing power. We did not have the bandwidth and the capacity to do this kind of work. And now they do. So I'd love to talk more about that. I mean, it's it's something that, you know, has existed in the defense world for, for years. And at the Department of Defense, they've been, you know, doing some their own innovative laboratories. And they've had money for and collaboration with industry, bringing the smartest people in the industry where, you know, you work for IBM and it was your, you know, you had this particular specialty, it was your job to go work for this DOD, you know, run entity, you know, and it was, you know, whether it's the Army Research Lab, you know, I mentioned DARPA, you know, or, or one of those, it's something that we, we sort of did, quote, in the defense world in the name of national security, and national defense, but if it works there, you know, it could work here. It can, you know, elsewhere. how can we, you know, you know, make our IT better? How can you, know, how can we process Social Security, you know, payments better? How can we pro- veterans claims better? Right. You know, you know, solve some of those, some of those other issues that are that are out there. You're listening to Fed Talk on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM. I'm here with John Dessenberg and Mike Morella. We'll continue our discussion about performance management and measurement in the federal government after this break. And a word from our sponsor. Make long-term care insurance part of your retirement plan. Long-term care is expensive, and it's not covered by traditional types of insurance plans. With benefits designed specifically for the federal family, the Federal Long-Term Care Insurance Program offers a smart way to help protect savings and assets and remain independent should you need long-term care services someday. Start planning for the future. Take the next step and visit ltcfeds.com today. That's ltcfeds.com. If you're a federal law enforcement officer, then you know to do your job, you tap inside sources. To have a voice on policy and legislation, you join FLIOA. And when you want federal law enforcement officer news and up-to-date federal court decisions, you read FedAgent.com. If you aren't reading FedAgent.com, subscribe today. It's free. Don't let this source pass you by. I'm John Adler, president of the Federal Law Enforcement Officers Association, and I approve this message. Welcome back to Fed Talk on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM. I'm Tony Vernetti, and I'm talking with John Dessenberg and Mike Morella about performance management and measurement in the federal government. Before we took our break, guys, we were talking a little bit about um, kind of what this administration um, has done um, as far as transparency and, and making an open government a priority. Obviously, if you've turned on a TV <laughs> in the last 24 hours, you know, we're in the heat of, a, of an election cycle here. Um, there's going to be a new president. Um, there's going to be a whole new administration. Um, you know, what's that mean for some of these advances that were made the past eight years? Well, yeah. Is the next president going to fill out his NCAA brackets like the current president? <laughs> he never wins. He picks Kansas every year, Obama. He, he picked one, one. Of the eight years, he picked one winner. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, he's got Hawaii today. He's definitely going to lose that. I don't know. You know, Cal's top player's out, but we can talk about that on our sports show later. Uh, you know, I, I did want to mention something about changes in administration. 
since the 90s, unfortunately, what we've seen is every president feels they have to rebrand this stuff. Uh, I think a lot of people remember PART, the program assessment rating tool under the Bush administration. And we had reinventing government under Clinton, which I remember as, as a young federal employee. And, you know, what I, I really think we need to try to ensure this time is a little more stability. We've gotten traction with Gipper modernization. I would hate to see a, a complete shift in terms and, and, and uh, philosophies on this. It would just be a giant step backwards. We've seen it, unfortunately, in state government particularly when they change from one political party to the next. This happened in Maryland with uh, Governor Hogan taking office. He basically unplugged state stat, which was what Governor O'Malley had been using to track data and improve performance in Maryland. Um, Governor Hogan, for some reason, felt the need to start over, call it something different, and he was going to emphasize process improvement versus performance improvement. I mean, I just don't know why a change in political administration means that we have to throw out good management ideas. I hope that doesn't happen. One thing that we are excited about, I think, you know, even if we, no matter who wins, one of the, the new innovations that to keep an eye on is something called social impact bonds. Now, what is a social impact bond? That is when the government allows a, a nonprofit or a foundation, et cetera, to use seed money to start a new program or to implement a new strategy around a, a government uh, a result. And they only get paid back if they demonstrate improved results. If, for instance, the foundation or the nonprofit implements a new way um, of, of training uh, uh, people, job training, and we don't see an improvement in the unemployment rate for those people, the, the government never has to pay. So this is called a social impact bond, and it's really, you know, if the program works, um, then the nonprofit and the, the funders may get some, some of the uh, benefits of that monetized come back to the funder. So this is like a bond. It's, it's like, you know, it's, it's an investment vehicle for nonprofits. Very interesting. Well, when you talk about changing from administration to administration, you know, I think there needs to be an appreciation, you know, for for. Distinguishing between what's a policy shift, which is perfectly within a new administration administration's right, you know, versus, you know, I'm just wrote a note here, you know, it's policy versus management. We're talking about how to manage things better. Okay, you know, policy can be whatever it is, but in order to execute it, you know, you talked here about strategic execution earlier. In order to execute it, you know, we think these kinds of, you know, ways to do it work. And it, you know, you may not believe like that's the best way, but to me, it's almost, it's never, you know, best to just break it all down again and start all over, you know, cause then you just constantly, you're constantly doing, doing that cycle. Like we did, we did with the pay stuff over at DOD. And the burnout on employees and the disenchantment and the cynicism is already unfortunately at a high level. And we just really can't afford to, to turn yet more people off. I have, you know, young feds come up to me all the time, and I'll, I'll tell this story. It's not the greatest story, but a, a young, bright, uh, Ivy League-educated uh, uh, federal employee came up to me and said, you know, John, my, my federal program, I, which distributes money to the states, I don't think the states are at all better off from receiving this money than they would be without this money. And I just don't think the, the, the data would show that there is any change 
Uh, and, you know, it's really disenchanting for people to work in government programs where data is being ignored. It's right. just we can't afford that. Right. And then so this is a good segue, Michael, I want to ask you about the Performance Improvement Council. Um, so when you have a new administration come in, you know, what are like the career feds who are who are dealing with this on the other side, you know, you know, or Congress, what have you, you know, who's the stakeholder at that point to prevent a wholesale change? You know, is this something that the council can help can help with? And tell us about the council. Tony, this is an interesting, I think, problem that we're going to have and I'm, that I'm predicting we're going to have. And the reason I say that is with every change in administration, the incoming administration wants to do program evaluations. That's you know, how they're going to help set the, the future budget in, in their administration is by doing program evaluations. And even though program evaluations can be done maybe cheaper, cheaper or easier today than, than in the past through the use of technologies and things like that, um, you do have at the top, you've got this Performance Improvement Council that's really chartered with helping to um, help uh, agencies understand performance information. One of the problems here, though, is that a lot of these performance improvement officers are not career employees, they're political appointees. And so when the administration changes, so are those performance improvement officers. So I think one of the things that we should really kind of maybe take a look at for, well, we'll see if it's a problem because it'll be the first administration change when there's been a performance improvement council. Um, but one of the things that I'm gonna be trying to, to work on is is helping the, the incoming administration to, um, to, to have some sustained leadership at the top so that as these pick council members are leaving, that whoever goes in to take their place, there's, that there's not a huge uh, vacuum of, of, of just a knowledge loss. Is that, so who's on, so is that who's on the council? Is it all political appointees or is there, yeah, are, used are to, there certain agency representatives on there? I think originally, so most of the council was um, career folks, but more and more they're becoming, they're becoming politicals. I think one reason why is because it's a pretty cool job to have. If you're the performance improvement officer for an agency, that's a pretty posh, pretty, I mean, not posh, it's a pretty awesome job. It's a pretty fun job. Well, to have. I don't know, Mike, uh, you know. You're a performance expert. <laughs> you know, on the Moneyball. other hand, uh, traditionally they've given CFOs the title of PIO as kind of an added duty. And what most CFOs have largely discovered is they don't have time to, to do much on performance. The budget is just too resource intensive for them. Finances, obviously, are their priority. So I think the original complexion of the pick were a lot of CFOs because, of course, the theory was we want to connect budget and performance, and that makes sense. But they just did not have the bandwidth. So now we're seeing other people, I think, take the reins, either a deputy CFO or somebody else. So, John, I guess what I was saying is I think that, you, you know, you, you've got these these politicals. When, they, when they're gone, the, there's not going to be career folks that are stepping in. To help the new administration, I mean, especially at the top of the at the top of the council, but if if they if they were career folks, then it'd be so much easier for that kind of sustained leadership for for the incoming administration to say, "Hey, look, here's all the performance data from the last administration," but it, it's a somebody that's at a high level. Well, that, and and also with politicals, the, the the problem with performance data and the political process is no one wants to be shamed and blamed and finger pointing and the culture of performance is. I mean, the technical side of performance is, is relatively easy. It's the cultural aspect of performance uh, in a politicized government environment, which is very tough, starting right with Congress. What happens when someone testifies in front of Congress and, and comes forward with data or issues? They are blamed. They are pointed at. And so what you have there is, I, I think, a culture that is nervous about accountability. Well, well, I think the org this is the problem I see. You know, I see the, the organization, you know, is a stakeholder often sometimes. 
And what does that mean? Yeah, I remember when Gipper first came out, it meant, look, we're going to present this data in the light most favorable to us. Right. We're going to crunch the numbers. We're going to get the data out here because we have to send it to Congress. You know, we want it. We want increased budget or, you know, we want favorable treatment. So it's all about how you present the data. You know, there's an old joke about there. It's all about, you know, the marketing or the presentation. Um, you know, is, is, is that a concern? You know, in this sort of you know analytical world, what's the future? That's the break? biggest concern, right? Because I specialize in the technology, but the technology only gets you so far. Wow. You really have to be able to interpret the yeah. results and tell the story yeah. with the data. And I'm not going to talk about any particular department. This is widespread everywhere. We don't have to single anyone out. But I will tell you about one area of government regulation called food safety that I've been doing a lot of work in. Uh, it, there's food safety programs at FDA and USDA and CDC. It's it's not just one department. But what I find interesting is they are very gun-shy about the results of food safety programs. In other words, how many people are getting sick, how many people are getting ill. And the reason they're gun-shy about that is they don't have full control. Most people get sick from food because they're preparing it wrong in their own homes or in a restaurant. It's not the government's fault. It's not, in, it's not a problem of inspection or anything. It's just it's, it's people who don't know how to prepare food safely. And so the government is then becomes gun shy about talking about the very mission that they've been tasked with. And, you know, you can see how ridiculous that is. But look at the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. If they have a measure to reduce highway fatalities and they fund a click it or ticket program or a Mothers Against Drunk Driving program, they can't always directly correlate the money that they give for those programs back to the reduction in highway fatalities. Although what's interesting is when there's good news, and there has been good news in highway fatalities until recently, it's been going down, uh, largely because people were driving less, I think. But believe me, DOT was the first one to say, hey, that's us. <laughs> right? So. so how I mean, how advanced... You talk about how this stuff can be manipulated by humans, basically. Um, I, I guess how you know how advanced is the, the analytical? I guess the analytical applications that are out there to kind of guard against that. You know, how do you you know where are we at in that? Well, you know, I'll let uh, Mike talk about tools. I just wanted to say very quickly uh, for everyone who understands what it means to be audited, like a, a clean. We all know what a clean financial statement is in government. Obviously, that's a that's a big deal. But what we've been told by the experts is it's only a matter of time before you're also going to have to have a clean performance opinion. I mean, I just, I just, I mean, I'll just give you kind of a, it's just a, it's not a silly example, but it's just one I think a lot of people can, can understand with, you know, if I run the counterterrorism unit over the CIA and I want to tell you about what successes we had, we hadn't had another 9-11 since we started getting funded appropriately. You know, and that was the big thing. You know, I did work on a 9-11 commission after the big thing, you know, they were talking about is, you know, the budget to fight wildland firefighters is is 50 times more than it is we had, you know, to hunt down Osama bin Laden. You know, I mean, that's just how people present things. Well, you know, what you're getting into, Tony, is maybe the biggest issue in government, which is what we call hard-to-measure outcomes. Right. Particularly in any area where you're looking at preventing bad things from happening— like terrorism, the Defense Department, et cetera, even something like food safety, that is a very difficult thing to measure because what you're trying to measure is the absence of something. And that, and fundamentally, that has just been, been a conundrum. Our, OMB has our, promised our more negative. support. Yeah, prove a negative. You know, I, I run an insurance company. Mine's easy. At the, you know, did this month, did we get more customers than we lost? You know, it's, yeah. it's growth. It's, it's basic growth. Right. Well, we, we hear, uh, sometimes we hear, um, well, why, we have a blank check. 
Um, so, and but our, our goal is to have zero of this happen. Right. Right. So how do we, you know, how do you, how do you know how much to, to budget? Or, you know, if, 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 the, if the, you're willing to pay any price right. to not have another. To get to zero. Right. Well, usually to get from, you know, a, a million to 500 costs you one thing, but then to try to get down to actually zero is exponentially more expensive. But I just see it's so just, you're just so easy to manipulate all the data. You know, here's what I want it to show. Here, you know, let's say what here we're going to go. And then you go back and you, and you find the data and you say, we're using this money for this, we're using this money for this, and we get this result. Right. You know, are you willing to risk it? And this is prop when you talk to staffers on the Hill and members of Congress, which which I've done, they will tell you they don't trust the data coming out of the White House. And personally, I think the data coming out of the White House is valid. Uh, I have confidence in it largely, but the skepticism is immense. And so, you know, a lot of people think we do need to go to some kind of non-political bipartisan commission on government programs. We've got to get this out of the world of politics and, and put data into a neutral environment. Uh, the state of Texas does this. They call it the Sunset Commission, which reevaluates every program on a five, I think it's a five-year basis. Uh, it's been very successful. A lot of people are looking at that. But what can we do to depoliticize this in government uh, at the federal level? It's it's urgent that that. I mean, happens. I like that Texas thing. Not only does it sound great, I mean, it's a huge motivator for people running the program. Let's make this thing succeed, right? You know, or we're out of jobs. You exactly. know, we're looking for something else. I mean, that, it's too, it's twofold. We're going to have to stop here for a third break to hear a word from our sponsor. When we return, we'll wrap up today's discussion with John and Mike about performance management and measurement in the federal government. Make long-term care insurance part of your retirement plan. Long-term care is expensive, and it's not covered by traditional types of insurance plans. With benefits designed specifically for the federal family, the Federal Long-Term Care Insurance Program offers a smart way to help protect savings and assets and remain independent should you need long-term care services someday. Start planning for the future. Take the next step and visit ltcfeds.com today. That's ltcfeds.com. Welcome back to Fed Talk on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM. We're entering our last segment of the show, and we are talking with John Dessingberg and Mike Morella about performance management and measurement in the federal government. John, let me um, ask you to, to speak a little bit about um, what you called previously the, or during break, the stovepipe issue um, that you think is, is out there and how they can overcome well, that. you know, Tony... What you see after years of working in performance is that the most important and critical outcomes for the American people are things that are the result of more than one department. Uh, we need to encourage people to understand that results are not something that they have sole responsibility for. It's the combination of work between different groups, federal, state, local, nonprofits, et cetera, that really uh, make success happen for the public. And so, for instance, I'm working on a very critical public health issue right now called anti uh, antimicrobial resistance. And this is the antibiotic resistance issue that is, that is a serious public health issue. As a matter of fact, the White House calls it a national public safety issue uh, because if our antibiotics stop working, we are in tremendous trouble as a society and et cetera. But you would be shocked that, for instance, up on Capitol Hill, the appropriated money that goes into human health is very different than the appropriated money that goes into animal health. And 
the appropriated money going into human health, they're very concerned, of course. We, we have to do something about antibiotic resistance, and they're, they're trying to, to make some strides with CDC, and CDC is getting fully resourced to, to deal with this issue. It's understood that we cannot let this happen. On the other hand, the animal health appropriations subcommittees are paying almost no attention to this issue, so we still are eating food with too many antibiotics in it, et cetera. And so you can understand how we cannot have success. That's just one example. But we cannot have success on these issues with the way we are currently appropriating and structuring budgets. It doesn't match results or performance. I mean, is that because it's it's the political perception, you know, or, or, or just naive about it. It, it? it is a failure. I know how the food to, chain works. <laughs> I mean, it's not, I mean, hey, I, I didn't do that well in, in high school science either, but I think we can all understand that if you eat something, it's going to have an effect on you. But unfortunately, the connection between various departments and agencies and how they work together, this has not been really part of the discussion. And that's why it's not just performance measures and analytics. It's actually executing real strategies, not just one department strategic plan, but we're talking about real national strategies on critical national issues. We've got to look at this differently. So let me ask you a little bit about what we talked about early on about about governance and and that and kind of where you know where the money is being spent and you know and how that sort of works, you know, in in all of this. I mean, you know, just listening to our conversation, you know, a lot of this is the old joke. They say, you know watching a law get made it's like you know watching a sausage being, being made right. you know it's it seems you know like there's so much of that here it's, it's i'll tell you about go- governance is a hot you know i think everyone who is is working in a federal agency has heard this term more than once over the last year this is becoming a big issue and the reason what we're seeing day in day out is people for many years thought their budget was theirs And so if I'm given X amount of money, I can spend it where I see fit. If I want to buy a new piece of software, I can do that. If I want to attack a problem a certain way, I can do that. But now we can start to understand if you move to outcome-based performance measures and really start to look at the real impact of our work, we realize we cannot make governance and budget decisions in a vacuum. It's not just your office. It's the impact and the relationship of your office to my office, et cetera. So we have got to take governance and elevate it into a strategic issue that is influenced heavily by data. In, in, in my world, in, in, in IT, a lot of times that has to do with the, the really this new role of the chief data officer and the role that the chief data officer plays in governance and really where the water's edge is between the chief data office's role, the IT department's role, because they're typically the chief data office typically isn't in the IT department. Right. Um, so there's this governance that's coming from a data governance perspective, but then there's a water's edge, but an, an overlap, a collaboration that has to happen between the chief data office and the folks you're talking about, the program managers, the program executives. And how much authority is the I mean, this chief data officer title? I mean, some agencies don't even have one yet. It's a new thing. I mean, could, Mike, could you even describe the role of a, of a chief data officer? Yeah, and this is, I'm seeing this more and more in different agencies. And this role of the chief data officer is to provide data governance, data quality. You know, when, when we look at data, a lot of times the first thing that people say when they see their data, like in, displayed in a dashboard, hey, this doesn't look like my data. Where did you get this number from? And so the chief data office is, is really there to help validate 
um, where that number, where those numbers are coming from, and if those numbers aren't right or don't look right, uh, as help make corrections in organizational data quality. Um, from office to office across an entire agency. Yeah, and you know, one other piece on this, which I think is fundamental, and I'm not a tech guy, Mike, you're more of a tech guy, it's this aspect of software as a service and accessing these kind of modern tools through the cloud. And the reason this has become, I think, incredibly important is it's just like an app on your phone. I mean, I don't have time to re-update my software and install it and figure out which one to buy and take care of it and hire consultants to manage it. We just expect that our software is going to get updated as needed. You subscribe to it on a month-to-month basis. How has that changed things? Well, it's, it's really helped the business office, offices focus on the business problems rather than solving an IT problem. You know, the IT department is really good at helping with enterprise applications and email and things like that. But some of those business problems require business users to figure them out. And so by having the software as a service model in a lot of agencies has kind of helped bring the technology closer to the business user so that the business user can help configure it versus having to go to the IT department and talk about requirements and getting the requirements right and things like that. And what, what I see with this new model is you have a couple of real, for lack of a better word, data geeks, data nerds in your agency, people who really understand this, people who really like it, and this is where their skill set is. You can just get a couple of uh, uh, licenses for this on an individual level. You, it does not have to be some gigantic agency purchase. You can you can pilot this at a, on a small scale, and we're talking about some of these really interesting tools. I mean, uh, there's many of them out there, but some of these cutting-edge vis- visualization tools particularly yeah. uh, are just very interesting, and they're all uh, cloud-based. Whenever you have um, these government initiatives that have essentially what, what we're talking about is shared responsibility, you know, the word that always comes to mind, you know, is accountability. You know, when, when, you know, is it, so if it turns out it doesn't measure what we thought it was going to measure, or I don't like what the results are, you know, it must be something that the data group did. It must be something that IT did. What if we're measuring something that out of IT, you know, you have a lot of people pointing, pointing fingers at one another. Similar, you know, if you've got, you know, two overlapping government contractors doing something on a, on a, on a system. Um, you know, I had an issue with MITRE years ago and, you know, something blows up, everybody's pointing fingers at each other. You know, how does, I mean, I'll tell you what I hear a lot, which is, I mean, these are actual quotes, Tony, people said to me, that's not fair. It's not fair to measure my performance because I don't have full control over that. Well, guess what? The paradigm has changed and we are all responsible for the results of our work. It's not just your little mm. task of the right. day. It's, it's actual results. And you know where this is really infuriating, and I know, Tony, you have a lot of experience with employment law, et cetera, senior executive performance appraisals, those people are supposed to be tracked on results. But if you talk to them, as I have, they really don't want to be tracked on results. They want to be tracked on their own work well, and I mean, that, you, know. you just look at what happened in the VA. The executives, you know, they had to they had to present what their results were, you know, and they got their bonuses based upon that. And then we had the whole waitlist fiasco started, and FBI opened a, a criminal investigation into them that said, did they misrepresent what their numbers were, you know? And so, whoa, you know, yeah, I told you that my under my underfunded hospital did better than, than it should have and now you want to you want to investigate me well then that's a direct result of this shaming and blaming culture well, where it, people are so scared 
really what are measures? Measures are designed to inform you and help you improve. Well, everybody's just so productive and, you know, protective of, you know, worried about blaming. And I have this saying in my office, look, it's not about whose fault it is. It's our responsibility to fix it. You know, I, I took over, you know, an organization and a, and a and their back-end web stuff, which had all these problems, and I employees would just complain, well, that wasn't something we did, wasn't this, wasn't that. It doesn't well, matter. Well, you know it's not about fault. It's about it's our responsibility to fix it. Yeah. So let's get together and figure out how we're going to fix it. Well, toxic environments start at the top. And so you can imagine when people watch these political campaigns and they watch the tenor of Congress and our political uh, 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 candidates, this is where this is all starting, unfortunately, which is... We are out to score points and blame people, and fixing things kind of comes second or third. You know, I got to say though, there's I've seen a lot of really creative ways to solve problems right recently, and some of these new techniques that people are using to solve problems, like um, some of these meetup groups for design thinking. Um, I know we're going to be talking about this at the Government Performance Summit next month. Um, is really creative ways to solve problems, like human-centered design and design thinking, and how to bring that to performance management. So I just have a few um, seconds left here. So let me let me plug the performance summit again. Um, it's a government performance summit. It's May sixteenth through the eighteenth at the Marriott and Metro Center. Um, it's a three day conference, right, guys? That's three day right. conference. It's a two days, and then the third day is workshops. Okay. And if you want to get more information on it, you can go to two websites. You can go to performanceinstitute.org or their website, which is governmentperformance.org, and their toll free number is eight. 8- Seven seven nine nine two nine five two one. Um, how many years have been doing that conference? That conference. This will be my fourteenth that I've attended personally, wow. and I believe this is the eighteenth total. Every year they get bigger and bigger. Just to give people a quick taste, we're going to have top officials from OMB, uh, OPM, and others there. It's going to be well worth your time. So that's all the time we have for the show today. Guys, thank you so much for spending some time with us and sharing this important information with our listeners. Thank you, Tony. And thanks to all of you who are listening listening for joining us today. Just a reminder that Fed Talk is brought to you by the attorneys of Shaw, Bransford, and Roth. Have a great weekend, and we'll see you next time.